Kerber. Welcome, my friends, to the Moon Jockeys podcast. <laughs> An in-depth discussion of Star Wars themes, characters, and storylines. Now, here are your hosts, Katie and Brian. Welcome to another episode of Moon Jockeys Podcast. My name is Brian, one of your hosts. I am so excited for tonight. We have our first guest. Uh, before we get to our first guest, how are you doing tonight, Katie? I'm doing great, Brian. I'm so glad to be with you tonight and to have our special guest on. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm hyped. Let's do it. <laughs> you don't realize it, but you actually have just heard our first guest. He's the gentleman that was kind enough <laughs> to do our introduction he's a little bit of a podcasting a, veteran podcasting <laughs> veteran and voice actor um i'd like to introduce jason hunt how are you doing tonight jason yeah, podcasting veteran i have been <laughs> in this podcasting world since i was six years old <laughs> or something like that anyways <laughs> suddenly podcasting is real to you yes <laughs> Hi guys, thanks for having me on. <laughs> Hi Jason. Oh my gosh, you crack me up. <laughs> you do a wonderful Hondo. Well, I really appreciate that because it is, of course, true. Very true. <laughs> okay, I don't think I'm going to be able to talk tonight. I'm just going to be laughing. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh dear. I really did not come here to take over Moonjockeys. Okay. I... Oh, man. Yeah, please do. <laughs> <laughs> Just do all the voices. <laughs> hey, guess what? Hondo is, is our host tonight. <laughs> Cassie right. and two, apparently. So what they're going to do is they're going to talk all about uh, me, because that's <laughs> the most important thing in the galaxy. Obviously. Hey, not the obviously. galaxy. The universe. What am I saying? <laughs> I think tonight oh, we're uh, going to talk about Attack of the Clones and the major oh, themes. I guess, I guess we could do that, too. I mean, oh, sure. Oh, yeah, there, there is that. I mean, there is a <laughs> lot of prequel love here, so we might as well spread it around. Yes. Oh, we, we such prequel love. We're a podcast built on prequel love. Uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but when uh, Brian and I were tossing around name ideas for the podcast, one of mine was um, literally, quote, unquote, the prequels are good, actually. <laughs> podcast she's very subtle i mean <laughs> she has palpatine beat on subtlety yes just you know, welcome to the prequels are good actually podcast i'm your host katie <laughs> we also have Hondo, apparently <laughs> oh my goodness oh dear oh dear <laughs> so katie we had a couple polls in the last couple days <laughs> We sure did, yes. To get us geared up for our Attack of the Clones conversation, we did two polls. The first of which we asked our viewers over at Moon Jockey's Pod on Twitter uh, what their favorite scene of Attack of the Clones was. Now, Brian, you're the one who put up this poll, and you gave four options. The four options were Obi-Wan versus Django, uh, the Love Pledge, Yoda's Cavalry, and the Duel with Dooku. Now, the winning 
uh, option was the Obi-Wan versus Jango Fett in the rain, which I admit, amazing scene. But I kind of take an issue with your list because as soon as I started thinking about it, I was like, I can think of like five other scenes that need to be on this list. <laughs> I think you and everyone else because I got several <laughs> um, tweets about what scene was not on the list. Uh, um, I mean... And the love pledge <laughs> got no love whatsoever. No, that, that one got no votes at all. <laughs> Let's see. Oh, dear. We have... Um... I know one person said everything on Tatooine was their favorite scene. Oh, that's a good choice. I mean, it's a little bit of a cheat, but it's a good choice. <laughs> mm, it's more than just a scene. Oh, just yeah? Saying. It's a just whole saying. sequence? <laughs> I mean, it's an entire, like, act of the movie. Yeah, well, it's yeah. like 30% so... <laughs> of the movie. <laughs> 30% of the movie is my favorite part of the movie, actually. Though I guess, you know, I can't really talk since when people are like, what's your favorite part of Phantom Menace? I'm like... Duel the Fates, which is like the whole last 15 minutes of the movie. So, oh well. But uh, oh my gosh, Brian, what what did you vote for? What's your favorite scene in Attack of the Clones? The duel with Dooku. Yoda's duel with Dooku is my favorite scene. Oh, that one's good. That one's contentious, as I'm sure we'll get into. <laughs> I love those duels so oh, much. Yeah. Katie, oh, what so was yours? Much. See, okay, I actually did vote in the poll, actual poll part of the poll, so I could see the results of the poll. <laughs> you know how that works? You have to vote to see to what see other people results, vote for? Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I voted for Obi-Wan versus Django because that's a really awesome fight. It's just really fun to watch. Ewan McGregor is in it to win it. Just, it's a good time, okay? Really well shot. But I think, like, if I had to pick a favorite scene, it's, yeah, it's Padme talking to Queen Jamilia. I just, I really like that scene. We have two women in Star Wars actually sitting down to talk to each other, and that's amazing. That's going to steal the show for me. But if I had to pick a runner-up, which I'm going to, because this is the prequels are good, actually, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> My runner-up favorite scene is I really like Anakin chasing Zam through, first through the skies of Coruscant, and then down through the streets. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, seeing Hayden Christensen bowling over extras, like, that's, also a good time. Not <laughs> he for the extras. That was one of, yeah, that's true. But Hayden did say that was one of his favorite things to do. <laughs> while <filming> this movie. <laughs> oh, that's why we need to get him back in the sequel trilogy so he can just knock over more extras. Like <laughs> As a force ghost, I think yeah. he would just kind of go through them. <laughs> they, would, they would all get out of the way in deference to the ghost of Anakin Skywalker, I think. <laughs> they would at least, they would have the good nature to, you know, fall over for him. You know what I mean? Like he's running and then they just act like he knocks them over. <laughs> just to make him happy. I'm pretty, I, I'm pretty sure that's exactly how that scene would happen. And Disney should call me. Just call me Disney. Got a hundred ideas just like that one. All this could be yours, Disney. There might be a reason why they're not calling you, Katie. <laughs> <laughs> Can't imagine. Cannot imagine. Jason. <laughs> Can you share with us what your favorite scene was? Uh, it's not on your list of options. Uh, it's it's the arena battle. Uh, just all the Jedi in the arena. I love that scene so much. Yes. Like, you have no idea. Um, well, if you've listened to my podcast, you probably do because I talk about it too much. But <laughs> And I will have more love to share on it later. But, yeah, the arena battle is my, my favorite so scene. Do you consider this to start with this party's over? Yes. Okay. Yes. Because I that put the 
the Yoda cavalry on there, hoping that that would cover it. But I guess I took a little too long. <laughs> I just gotta go back to admit, a couple like, chapters. Yeah, for like for like the six months immediately following the release of this movie, that's how I would open doors. I would open the door and go, "This party's over." <laughs> <laughs> I, I will tell you, um, I would start the movie at this party's over and just frame by frame through the entire arena battle. I did that numerous times. Wow. I yeah. relate to that so hard. That's what I did with Duel of the Fates, man. Like, <laughs> oh, man. Just having it on VHS tape, too, and then having it go frame by frame. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I relate so hard to you, Jason. <laughs> Just prequel kids high-fiving oh. across the 90s. <laughs> yep, pretty much. <laughs> now, see, what you're supposed to say is this party started when you get there. Oh, no, I'd rather crash a party. Just to be like, you didn't invite me, it's over. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right, all right. Second poll. Um, we posted, uh, what was the most contributing factor to the Jedi downfall. And there were four options there, though I suppose there were a lot of factors that led to the downfall of the Jedi, let's be real. But Twitter only lets you have four, and our options were arrogance, they didn't listen to Padme, the blind creation of the army, or they became generals, right? Yeah, they became soldiers instead of keepers of the peace, right? Yeah, exactly. Well. The most popular option was arrogance. Jedi arrogance led to their downfall. I have to I have to agree with our listeners on this one. I, I feel like that that was a huge contributing factor. Though not the one I voted for. I voted for they didn't listen to Padme. I got it. <laughs> of course would you, would you say which which instance are you talking about with not listening to Padme? Ever. When did they ever listen to Padme? <laughs> oh my gosh. There are two the Queen instance... would not approve. There, the queen would not approve. <laughs> there are two instances specifically that there are really bad, like where they dismiss Pad what Padme says, that she mm -hmm. was absolutely correct and they could have corrected stuff. And yeah, the, well, the Dooku, yeah, behind the assassination plot, definitely. Exactly. Yeah, she walks into. I just hate it. She walks into a room full of men, says, "Hey, I just survived an explosion. I look fabulous, by the way." Like, <laughs> <laughs> I just survived an explosion. I look amazing. Uh, and I'm pretty sure Count Duke is behind it. And then all of the men look at her and go, mm, sounds fake. Like, uh, uh, they have to listen, listen to Padme, y'all. <laughs> and then what really burns me up, I'm sorry, I'm just going to go off. <laughs> what really burns me up is that, uh, and then, you know, they say, you know, Dooku couldn't have done that. That's just not his character. And then they all look down at Yoda who says, you know what? In grave danger you are. Thanks, Yoda. Like, you needed clairvoyance to figure that out. She literally just survived an explosion, and your big insight is she's in grave danger. Thanks. Thanks, yeah. Yoda. <laughs> well, I think that's Yoda trying to uh, <laughs> assuage <laughs> the situation because, obviously, Kiari Mundi and Mace Windu completely dismissed her, and Yoda's like, well, if you're right or they're right, you know, either way, you're in danger. you got to do yeah. something about that. He so, does yeah. say I think that's Yoda. He does say seeing you live brings warm feelings to my heart. I mean, it's <laughs> one of the sweetest lines Yoda ever says. I can't I can't decide if that is as sweet or as awkward as are you an angel? Oh gosh. <laughs> <laughs> See, Yoda's old. He can get away with it. I can just, I don't know. 
And, no, I, I would let a nine-year-old get away with that before I let someone who's 900 get away with that. He should know better. He's 900 years old. Padme is still like a little kid to him. She's barely out of training pants. <laughs> uh, My vote oh, was for the creation of the uh, clone army. I mean, to be blind to all the things that went into that for 10 years... And then the clone army is what actually kills 90% of the Jedi. I, that was mm -hmm. my vote. I, I would have to vote for arrogance simply because that is the cause behind much of the other items on, on the poll list here. Yeah, so, this is true. Um, so and I, I will, I'm sure we'll have a lot more to say about that later. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just the yeah the sheer arrogance that goes into looking at someone who just survived an explosion and going, yeah, that sounds fake. That that's so arrogant. Oh, yeah, I just agree. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, yeah. Let's move into talking about some of the the themes uh, that we recognize in Attack of the Clones. Uh, you know, not necessarily scene by scene or. or plot point by plot point of Attack of the Clones, but just kind of what are the overall themes of this movie that tie into the saga as a whole? I would like to start with the, uh, actually the conspiracy of creating the Grand Army of the Republic. And mm -hmm. when I went into my deep, deep dive uh, last Thursday, I think it was, um, I think that there's a major plot point that, is kind of hidden, and if you don't pay attention, you miss it. And that's the fact that Padme is the leader of the opposition of the mo motion to create the clone army. So she's mm -hmm. going to um, Coruscant to try to stifle this motion and to end it, which is why mm -hmm. she gets its, um, an assassination attempt. Um, and well, why precisely. Well, that's what she speaks about with Jamilia. She says, uh, you know, that, that the separatists won't come back to the Republic or find a peaceful solution if they feel threatened. So she absolutely does not want them to form an army. Well, little does she know that they're forming an army anyways. Yeah, but... exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. And we don't find that out till much, much later. Um, yeah, Dooku does not appear in this movie until after an hour like right but he's talked about quite a bit talk but we don't him. see him mm -hmm. we don't see him he's like the man behind the curtain almost yeah <laughs> well i feel like um you know when you just look at the text of of uh, attack of the clones and, and then you hear what george lucas had to say about this movie he wanted dooku to be really ambiguous and you weren't really sure what's going on with this guy is he a bad guy is he not you know the jedi say well he used to be a jedi and it's not in his character assassinated anybody but then at the same time pa uh, padme is pretty sure that he has something to do with all this so and then George Lucas said he didn't want anybody to know that he was a bad guy until you saw him at the very end with Sidious. But I don't know. I always. Yeah, he's the man behind the curtain, but it seemed kind of obvious that he was no good. Or until like, you saw his toy where it said Lord Tyrone. <laughs> that too. <laughs> there was that. Um... <laughs> that was kind of a giveaway. The red lightsaber you know, and all the action figures <laughs> and all the products, which is, I will admit, yeah, is and... the coolest lightsaber hilt in the galaxy. I. That's your favorite? If... Yes. 
if you gave it a green blade, then I'm like over the moon um, <laughs> with that with that saber. Um, but so yeah. then, like Ventress's sabers too. Do those? Yeah, the look. Uh, they're not as elegant. No? They're not as elegant. That's uh, fair. They're pretty. They're cool. Uh, they're more utilitarian. Um, but Dooku's has like an artistry to it. Oh, that's so. fair. That's fair. I I just. Uh, this is kind of random, but we're talking about, you know, Padme uh, facing all these assassination attempts. Mm-hmm. At the beginning of the movie, I want to know, what is Padme's bedtime routine? Because, stay with me, stay with me. This girl just survived an explosion. She's being used as bait in an assassination attempt. And, like, the Senate is having a major vote, and she's out like a light. If I step in gum on the sidewalk, I will be staring at the ceiling until 2 a.m. wondering where everything went wrong. Like, <laughs> so... How is she doing this? (laughs) Well, she um, had to fight for her planet's independence at 14. I think that develops a pretty thick skin. Um, (laughs) And she's probably honestly been up since like three days ago. Um, This is like nothing to her. (laughs) True. And so when, when she has two Jedi, in addition to her normal security, hanging around the apartment, I think she can feel pretty confident going to sleep. Maybe she meditates before she goes to sleep. I don't know. Oh, that, I'd be here for that headcanon. Like, Padme doing Jedi things, even though she's not Force-sensitive, just, like, to center herself and be calm and amazing. I'd be here for that. Like, yes. she does have clarity in this movie that is more clear mm-hmm. than the Jedi. Like, the clarity on Dooku and then understanding that the creation of the clone army is going to create a civil war is mm-hmm. pretty huge and no one takes her for everyone takes her for granted and they don't give weight to what she says yeah no she really does she has she has that clarity she can see the truth of the situation which is forming an army will lead to war and what does she say in the phantom menace she can't condone an action that will lead us to war right. padme knows no good comes from war and she, at every point she has the clarity to see that truth and I think she passes that on to Luke, really, you know, if you think about it, because Luke always has that clarity, too. Well, not always. It, it's cast into doubt sometimes. But at by the time we get to the end of six, you know, Luke won't be pushed that far. And I think that really comes to Padme, comes down to Padme. She's, she's so amazing. I love her so much. Yeah. Uh, Luke is definitely Padme's son, and Leia mm-hmm. is definitely Anakin's daughter. Yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. I mean, while on the surface, Leia is a senator like her mother, uh, let's be honest, she's going to take you down like Anakin. Oh, um, yeah. No, <laughs> she's not to be messed with. Uh-uh. <laughs> so, anyway. Jason, Jason, what did you think about the bread tr- the breadcrumb trail left uh, with the saber dart and how that unfolded in Attack of the Clones? Well, first of all, it, it introduces us to one of the best side characters in the entire saga, that being Dexter Jetster. So that makes me happy. Um, yeah. I love, I love Dex. He's um, an actual hero. I have his portrait framed on my wall. <laughs> <laughs> I want to, oh my gosh, it's my dream to just walk into his diner, like maybe at Disneyland, if they build right. his diner. I want to walk in and go, you know, I want a cup of jaw with you. <laughs> That's my dream. You know, he makes a good milkshake. That's all I right? gotta say. Right? <laughs> Move milkshake. <laughs> a moof milker milkshake. Okay. Oh my gosh. <laughs> fantastic. And I and I wanna walk into the cafe and that that 
music be playing that bounce down, whatever yeah. that, that sort of weird jukebox <laughs> techno <laughs> thing is. Um, I don't know. Anyway, but the, the whole breadcrumb trail that gets us to find the, the creation of this army is, is gives us detective at Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, which is also kind of awesome to see the Jedi doing something other than just in combat situations. Um, but it's definitely something that uh, I think is in some ways deliberate because Palpatine needs the army to be discovered so that we can use it in this instance. This is he's pulling the trigger now on on this plan to begin the downfall of the Republic and all this stuff. And the Grand Army of the Republic, as created by the Kaminoans, is one of the primary tools that's going to be moving that forward. And yeah. so uh, the whole conspiracy, of course, goes almost a decade back when the uh, army was created by Sifo-Dyas, who then mysteriously died shortly after creating the army. That's not uh, suspicious. Not no, suspicious <laughs> not in the slightest. And he was like buddy-buddy with Dooku, who left the order around the same time. So let's not... <laughs> Look we're at that connect... too closely. Either. Yeah, we're not going to connect uh, any dots. There's nothing there. If you're reading too much into it, and right? The fact exactly. That the prime minister had a relationship with Dooku, um, in in uh, fifty in the fives arc of the Lost Missions. Yes, like, they were sending messages to Dooku. So like they they, oh, they had an ongoing were... relationship. Yeah, and and I think they were referring to him as Zyphodias. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, if I recall correctly, it's been a little bit since I've watched that, and I haven't gotten to that episode on my Clone Wars rewatch. But um, I think they were referring to him as Sifo-Dyas, so he's still kind of p- keeping this uh, facade up mm-hmm. uh, in order to keep the construction of the army going, mm-hmm. um, which makes the very polite faces that the Kaminoans are putting towards Obi-Wan and the rest of the Jedi a little suspect. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I actually, I think they're they're really genuine because they're they're being paid, so they're being paid to be nice. Well, true. I mean, that's <laughs> the thing is is the money is coming in from Sifo-Dyas or wherever this is, and so they're gonna do whatever it takes to keep that money flowing in, mm-hmm. uh, and you know they're experts at what they do, obviously, because the clones are you know very successful, um, but. All of a sudden, the Republic has this army that they didn't have at their disposal before. And there's this big debate about whether or not they should even create a grand army of the Republic. And all of a sudden, there's this clone army shows up on their doorstep. And it's like, well, do we use it or not? It's kind of here for us. Well, yeah, because it's one this? It's one thing to, you know, vote for an army when it's your own children who are going to, you know, make up this army. And it's another thing entirely when it's like, here are some disposable human lives. It yeah. becomes a lot, a lot easier, I think, mm-hmm. to sign off on that army. Yeah. It's so gross, too. <laughs> it is. Because it doesn't it cost them anything. It, it, they're, they're not mm-hmm. risking the lives of their loved ones, as you said. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but this conspiracy is is all, you know, part and parcel in the machinations of Palpatine. And and I think Attack of the Clones gets a bad rap sometimes because a lot of the maneuverings that happen are so subtle with Palpatine. Mm-hmm. 
you know, that so many pieces, he's sitting in the back, just pushing one domino over here, one domino over there yeah. and one domino over here. And they're just starting to fall. Um, and it's telling that we only get one scene in the entire movie with Sidious because the mask is on and it's the chancellor. And this is the role he has to play now in order to get these balls moving. Um, and, and he does that, you know, obviously we see that, um, when Obi-Wan gets captured and they're discussing what they want to do and, you know, the voting of the emergency powers and Masameda and Palpatine just outright manipulate Jar Jar in the open in front of everybody. Oh, poor Jar Jar. Oh, poor Jar Jar. <laughs> I hate Masameda so much because yep. of this. Um, yeah. But I love Palpatine because he's a brilliant villain, <laughs> and I have so many conflicting emotions about the fact that I love Palpatine so much. Um, <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but um, so, what does that Mas reveal about you, there, Jason? Mm, there, there's a secret let's, dark side. Let's let's uh, let's let's not look too harshly on people who like villains. Okay, let's not examine <laughs> that too closely. <laughs> I'm gonna pull the plug on that. Like, uh -huh. Well done, my young <laughs> Lost will have revenge. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, two of them. <laughs> you should not have made this bargain. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh! It is. It is such a good mystery. I when I watch Attack of the Clones, I just love watching Obi Wan put it all together and his scene with Jango Fett, where they're both kind of dancing around each other but not really like they both know yeah. what's about to happen but they don't want to say it do you think Django fed is genuine when he says that he's just a simple man trying to make his way through the uni universe i mean that's all any of us want isn't it like he he's he's found a really good way to make that happen but at underneath all that underneath the fact that he's the you know base genetics for the clones underneath all that he's just a guy trying to make his way in the universe um, I don't know. He's that scene. I love that scene because it's it's such polite sparring between Obi Wan and Django. Oh, exactly, it's, exactly. Oh, it's one of my favorite Obi Wan scenes in the saga. Period. Um, but I, I think Django's sort of downplaying his ambitions a little bit with that that line. You know, I'm just a man trying to make my way in the universe. <laughs> um, maybe on some level he is, but. The fact that he, you know, has gotten a son out of this deal and the fact that he has such a legacy with an entire army that's genetically him yeah. that is going to transform the galaxy forever and impact and shape the galaxy permanently because of that. I think Django knows he's the best bounty hunter in the <laughs> in the galaxy. And this is going to put him in the history books forever, and no one will be able to forget his name. Right. Oh, that's fair. Yeah, that's fair. I, I, I think I think Django likes to play his ambitions down, but when you have an entire army that's genetically you, mm -hmm. uh, that there has to be a reason that you signed yes on the dotted line for that. Well, yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I was just kind of thinking, like, you know, underneath all that, where it's just like, you know, what's special about you? What's, yeah, what's special about you? And it's like, well, you know, nothing really. I'm just a guy trying to get by, and I found a really great way to do it. 
Mm. I mean, I that's, know, but I hear, but I hear what you're saying. That could be part of it, but I mm-hmm. mean, he's also had ten years at this point to go from, oh yeah, that's a great job offer, to well, <laughs> <laughs> look at me. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, yeah. I, I think I think he could have started at that, but now he's, I think he's pretty well, you know, setting his legacy into motion. <laughs> I I I have such a you know, soft spot for Django that's probably not earned simply because, like, part of this legacy and part of, like, being paid, he's just all like, can I have a son? I want to be a dad. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's not, kind of nice. See, that's not <laughs> fair. Uh, I mean... Right? It tugs at your heartstrings, doesn't it? Yeah, because yeah. I want to be a dad, and I am a right? dad. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I think... And I think to some extent that, you know when you have an entire army cloned out of you that's sort of regimented and trained away from you and you have, you know, limited exposure to them, having someone, you know, that you can call your own son out of the bargain, you know, sort of help makes that all worth it. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's a good point. And it's cool that he wanted Boba to not be genetically altered so that he had a normal life and grew up... Uh, I mean, I don't think normal, like, normal as the biggest bounty okay. on the galaxy. No, life. <laughs> normal lifespan. So he didn't get thinking. to like age quickly. So he had sure. time for his mind to develop as well as his body. I don't. Yeah, I don't think he's had an entirely normal childhood because he's like sitting there in that ship blowing stuff up and just cackling. And I'm like, ah. oh, but chill. You're 10. <laughs> chill right. Out. Right. He'd be that kid in the backyard, you know, with the magnifying glass and ants, like Boba. <laughs> no, he'd be the kid in the backyard with the BB gun in the ant. Oh, jeez. Oh, no. <laughs> That's so accurate. Or the oh. firecrackers in the M80s, you know. Oh, let's oh, not give geez. people any ideas. Okay. <laughs> Parenting tips here at Moonshockey's podcast. <laughs> boys will be boys. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, let's, uh... You think you think let's uh, move on maybe to talking about the romance of Attack of the Clones, you think? Sure, if you want to call it that. If you want to call it that. I actually ran a poll about that on my Twitter at Poe Hot Dameron. Uh, and I simply said Anakin and Padme's relationship and Attack of the Clones. And then I gave two options, romance or no man. <laughs> And actually, the votes were pretty split. They were split fairly down the middle. Um, romance just barely won out with 54% of the votes. And I, I I, am pretty comfortable calling that a tie, honestly. 54%? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a tie. I think that just kind of shows how divisive the Anakin and Padme relationship is. Because some people really buy into it, and then other people, mm-mm, they don't want it at all. I'm kind of surprised how many people actually buy into it a little bit. Really? Really? Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, I think part of it is um, the relationship is viewed almost entirely from Anakin's perspective. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I think, <laughs> Anakin doesn't you know, see. Yeah. And, and part of that is because, it, you know, he's the main character of this trilogy. You know, the trilogy is about getting Anakin from Little Orphan Annie to Darth Vader. Right. Um, so you know, when you have this romance, and this is all from his perspective, so we can understand why losing Padme in the next movie tears him apart so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of that is the problem um, with with why some people don't 
like the romance because they don't understand it because they don't like, well, why does Padme like, like this knucklehead? Yeah, um, what's, what's in it for her, honestly? Exactly. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if I had to say anything, and this is my complete objective, like um, spitballing, um, is well, obviously they talk about crushes they had as, as young kids. And she talks about Paolo with the dark curly hair, dreamy eyes. <laughs> fun stuff he went on to be an artist (laughs) right exactly um but that was kind of before she became queen um and put those sort of things aside and she's been so devoted to public service that i don't think relationships crossed her mind very much obviously we see in the clone wars that she had history with clovis but i don't think no yeah. <laughs> and if it's one verse uh, for Padme to hook up with an Anakin, it's Clovis. Um, yeah. I didn't know that was possible. <laughs> but um, but I think part of it is there's this young, attractive, you know, Jedi who finds her very alluring and is devoting all his attention uh, and time to her. Worships her, yeah. Essentially, yeah, exactly. He he's mm-hmm. thought about her every day since they departed, um, and which could be creepy, uh, could be sweet, uh, depending on how you take that. Um, yeah, <laughs> but I I think a lot of it is just he's completely devoted to her, mm-hmm. and she's not, and he's not taking no for an answer. She can't push him away. She can't deflect that kind of attention. Um, even though she tries, no, stop looking like, at looking at me like that. And Why? then he just looks longer. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there is this kind of almost Twilight-esque bench to their relationship. If you guys know what I mean, those vampire romance novels that I've became a phenomenon. I, I yeah. know about them. I've never watched or read them. Yeah, well, that... They have that same idea where, like, a, a man is, like, completely devoted to and obsessed with this girl. And then if you look at it through a certain lens, you're like, wow, that's really creepy stalkerish behavior. But then if you look at it kind of from the mind of a teenage girl, it's it's alluring a bit to, to think about this guy that's, like, obsessed with you and, you know, just wants to do everything for you. It So there and- is this kind of, yeah, youthful bent to Padme's, you know, almost being attracted to his devotion. Well, and I think part of it is both of them emotionally, when it comes to these sort of relationships, are kind of stunted. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. the Anakin, the, it's very adolescent, their relationship, their romance, the way it starts. Um, well, they're both very young, let's be they're, fair. They're true. They are still both very young, but it's almost like 13, 14 adolescent um, because mm-hmm. Anakin is this type of feeling, this type of relationship, not encouraged at all for Jedi. You know, he Mm -hmm. has no experience with this sort of thing. Uh, So he's going to come off kind of weird, creepy, awkward, you know, clumsy, um, foot in his mouth all the time. Because that's (laughs) what teenage boys do when they have a crush. Yeah, we Um, are not smooth. No. (laughs) Not in the Uh, You don't got to tell me. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I just came here to eviscerate you guys and talk about Star Wars. Like, is that okay? Thanks, Katie. Um, And I think because Padme has put off this type of relationship, even considering this type of relationship for so long, she's kind of, in a way, stunted her emotional development in that area as well a little bit. So I think both of these, it's a very young, adolescent sort of romance because 
emotionally, that's where they're developed to when it comes to this type of relationship. I think you know that- what kind of makes it work for me, and you guys are going to have to stick with me on this one, but it's the line, you'll always be that little boy on Tatooine. For some reason, I know, that's, that's the worst, and that's the line that everybody laughs at and goes like, oh, harsh, Padme. But I don't, I don't take it in that way. For me, it's more about he'll all, no matter what he does, He'll always be that boy that risked everything to save her and, you know, yeah. to get her to Coruscant. Like, even even when she's pregnant and he force chokes her, he's still that little boy on Tatooine. Like, there's, there's still nothing. still good at him. Yeah. Exactly. They're still good in him. She's always going to see that side of him and think of him in that way. I mean, it, it's a little gross where it's like, oh, are you thinking of him as a literal child? Well... No, she doesn't mean it in that way. She's not thinking of him as nine years old. She's thinking of him as that sweet person that did everything just to help her. Like he went out and risked his life to race that pod. You know, it's at, and you know he didn't have to. <laughs> right. He just wanted to help. So she's always going to think of him as that selfless, innocent person, no matter yeah. what he does. So in in a way that makes this relationship work to me because, you know, yeah, he fumbles all over himself and says these weird kind of awkward things. And their relationship, of course, has a lot of drama. But at the end of the day, in the back of her mind, he's still that wonderful person. You know, he'll always be that little boy on Tatooine. I mean, I, yeah. For some reason, that works for me. That that will make me buy the relationship. If he, Maybe that's weird. <laughs> if he made that much powerful of an impact on the first impression, definitely that would be something that sticks with her. Mm -hmm. Well, it's the first real challenge that she had as queen and probably the first real challenge she had in her life period, considering how young she was. Um, And when there's, you know, this young boy that they meet on this backward planet, who's a slave who decides to, you know, even though he doesn't really have anything, he gives everything he can to help them because he considers them friends. And then he leaves the planet, comes with them and helps fight to free the planet too. Right. Um, oh yeah like so much yeah so much of Naboo having that victory was because of him I bet yeah she thinks he's pretty cool you know (laughs) even for nine years old it's just like wow Anakin you're kind of amazing right right and you know I I think you're right for her when she says that line you know you're always the little boy I knew on Tatooine that's probably where she's coming from of course, Anakin doesn't take it like that. Um, oh, gosh. No. Why would he? <laughs> I'm a grown-up. Like, I have chest a... hair now. <laughs> He's got one. Um... I'm taller than you. I'm taller than Obi-Wan. <laughs> yeah. So uh, which one of them... The dialogue in Attack of the Clones between Anakin and Obi-Wan is a little rough. Like, Anakin it's awkward. Obi-Wan? Or Anakin, not Anakin and Padme, I'm sorry. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, well, he always but, starts good, where he's like, uh, you know, um, what does he say? You're just the way I remember you from my dreams. Like, the beginning of the sentence was amazing. Stop there. <laughs> like, he starts strong and then trips at the finish line. Stop saying you've been dreaming about me. <laughs> I think one of them has game as far as, like, planning dates. Because mm-hmm. their settings that they go to on Naboo are probably some of the most romantic things I've seen in a movie. Like a private picnic surrounded by waterfalls. Like that's pretty cool. Um, the lakeside on a beautiful, calm lake 
just on a terrace is very romantic, I think. Well, they did end up getting married on that terrace. Yeah. And, and um, then, yeah. like, Aww. conversations uh, by a fire, like, that also can be cozy and romantic. So, like, mm-hmm. so- private, private dinner where he's cutting her food for her and throwing her food at her. Yeah, that's super romantic. <laughs> They my like they know how to flirt that that they got that part down. Oh yeah, that I was gonna say that there's one really small specific thing that works for me in the whole like I hate sand scene, you know. I I don't know if I buy this whole sand talk and all of that, but there's this one moment where kind of in the bottom of the frame you can see Anakin running his fingers up her bare back. Yeah, oh we saw it. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I don't know why. That's that is something. It it's tender and it's kind of sweet. And I can imagine how I would feel if I was Padme, you know. And I'm just like, oh, okay. That that is that's almost a romance right there. <laughs> that's intimate. That's intimate. Mm-hmm. I think he's saying soft and smooth, like like you, yeah. like because mm-hmm. girls are soft. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> They can be. <laughs> Some are coarse and rough and irritating. <laughs> Gosh, they get everywhere. Um, <laughs> oh man! But yes, so, no, I, you're, that's totally right. You know, he's he's not subtle. He's not subtle at all. This is how he feels. You know, sand is coarse, rough, irritating, gets everywhere, but. Not like here, everything is soft and smooth. And he's not talking about the location. He's talking about the company. Um, yeah. yeah. That is exactly. He's changed the <laughs> the scope of the conversation has narrowed to just them uh, in the space of one sentence. So, yeah, no, that is exactly you know, where he's going with that. And, you know, it's it's not necessarily a bad line. Um Although no. I think I think the look he gives her right after he you know sort of caresses her skin might be a little weird. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he had intentions. He did, and they they kissed, which is kind of probably where he was headed. And then she was like, "Nope, sorry." And uh, I love the almost record scratch you get with the music. Right. I just. It's, uh, it's I like. Just... You, Oh, it's so great because the, the music swells so much. It gets so big as they kiss. And this is so romantic and wonderful. And then it just kind of eh, stopped <laughs> as she pulls away. And she's like, nope, sorry. I, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> I don't love it because, like, she has to be her own C-3PO. You know what I mean? <laughs> like... It worked. It worked with Han and Leia. You know, they're they're finally kissing for the first time. All this tension. You know, they're they're in this very intimate scene and intimate space, and they can't help but get swept up and kiss each other. And C three PO interrupts them. But in this scene, Padme has to be her own C three PO, and it's just not. It doesn't work as well. It just. Uh, I'm sorry, but like I like everything kind of leading up to that, and I wish there had been something other than her being her own c3po that's i don't know when you guys i don't know it's frustrating (laughs) when you guys get older and if you choose to um have kids um kids i don't know jason you want to have a kid with me no is that what you're saying no i'm (laughs) saying if that's what you want in your life you will find out that kids are the best um c3po's as you like to call them 
in the world. Right, like yeah. they are, <laughs> they have like radar that goes off anytime mommy and daddy are um, on the couch. <laughs> having on the couch. a moment, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, think, I, I, I see your point, uh, mm-hmm. Katie, but I think it also demonstrates the uh, the strength of character and the maturity of Padme is to realize, nope, we can't be doing this because of the life we've both chosen. I um, mean, yeah, that sand line was really good and you tied it into how smooth I am and you're making me feel real good. But no, we can't. No, Anakin. It takes us <laughs> down a dark path. Yeah, I do like um, them like rolling around in the grass. That was cute and playful and nice. Yeah. Like it's kind of like you were talking before about how kind of young emotionally they all are. They both are, and they're kind of just letting each other be kids and play for a little bit, which yeah. you know they both had to grow up so fast. And I guess in each other, they they both let out. It, it's okay to be young and in love when they're together. Yeah. And I think part of, you know, why the romance, I think, for me works is that they were both, you know, so integral to each other at important, you know, life-shaping moments for each of them. You know, they were both so involved in the, you know, the Phantom Menace situation, you know, and that's a life-altering, life-shaping situation and when you go through something like that with someone else, no matter who it is, you kind of develop a close bond with them, you know, mm-hmm. whether it's romantic or friendship or whatever, there's a close bond created. And so I think, you know, when you kind of just pick up from there, you know, you can sort of take that down the romantic path, especially when there's two young people um, with hormones. Alone uh, together. <laughs> alone together on a romantic planet in a romantic mm-hmm corner of that planet um just like whose idea was it to pack them a picnic lunch and let them go sit out by the waterfalls <laughs> give me a name right. whose idea right. <laughs> right like somebody has game that's just what I'm saying. <laughs> there, there was some matchmaker that was like one of the servants on that that island there there's got to be some servant that wanted to play matchmaker and was like "Ooh, let's do all these romantic things for this cute couple <laughs> right you know. some some like little shipper was super into it and it was all like oh, imagine if they had babies you could make four movies about them like <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh dear I, we may have we, we may have, have gone far afield <laughs> we may have destroyed any hope of people buying into this romance oh dear oh i've destroyed what i created <laughs> <laughs> Brian's over here just shaking his head. <laughs> all right. All right. Um one thing I did want to talk about is uh her ability to call out the truth in Anakin. Like she doesn't put up with his like his bullshit basically. <laughs> um so like when they're talking about love being the forbidden fruit. And then when she talks to Anakin about his nightmare and he says, I didn't have a nightmare. And she's like, Oh really? I heard you. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> Come on. Um, our rooms are night. Our, our rooms are right next to each other. Thanks to that, you know, uh, servant that really wants us to kiss. Like I heard you. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> she, she just really m- makes him, be honest with himself and with her and that's kind of mm-hmm. 
cool. That's really important because uh, the Jedi don't let Anakin be honest with himself. They, no. you know, he, he has a nightmare. Well, Jedi don't have nightmares. He gets angry. Well, a Jedi shouldn't be angry. But then Padme comes in and not only does she demand honesty from him, she won't let her lie. Sorry, she won't let him lie. And I think that's very different from everybody else in his life. Uh, yeah. I think later Palpatine kind of fulfills that role a little bit, you know, in, in so far that Palpatine tells him what he wants to hear. But from Padme, it's a lot more genuine and it's it's super important. I, I think Anakin craves that and that's part of his attraction to her. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. So. She even gets him to talk about, like, the Tusken Raiders. I mean, that's really when... Yeah. Ugh. That's, uh, that's 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 uh, that's a wallop. Uh, that's uh that's something. Um, and I know I know all she's trying to do is comfort him and help him feel better. But you know, to be angry is to be human. I just murdered an entire village. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I don't know. It's I I I think you know the 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 tone of the scene works in that she's just trying to comfort him and help him work through this. I don't think obviously she's not condoning what he did at all. Right. Um, I think she's just trying to deal with the emotions of it and let him work through that. And then maybe we'll talk about the fact that he murdered an entire tribe of Tuscan Raiders later. Yeah. You um, gotta, you gotta <laughs> deal with problem a before you can move on to problem B. Right. And he has just lost his mother. I mean, that's a really hard thing is a young adult to lose a parent. I, I went through it um, when my mom passed away from cancer, and it, it just kind of sends you on a whirlwind of emotion it, that can be very heavy. And I didn't slaughter a whole village, so don't you can breathe again. But Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's just hard. It's just hard to lose a parent, is what I'm trying to say. Especially well, like, one who was as close to you know Anakin's heart as Shmi was. Um, like until up until he left, you know, with Qui Gon, she was his whole world. Yeah. Um, and he still thought about her all the time. I think you know. it also says something. I think I'm not sure what I'm trying to say exactly, but the fact that Padme doesn't run from the room. You know, if I was in a room with somebody that powerful and that upset and that unhinged, you know, saying, hey, I just murdered a whole bunch of people and I'm really upset right now and I'm throwing things, I'd probably back away slowly and then very, very quickly. <laughs> but her reaction is to go hug him and console him because... I mean, I, I would be afraid for my own safety, honestly, because I'd be like, okay, you work that out, and I'm going to be back there, you know? But she's not afraid of him. He's still, I guess, like I said before, he's still that little boy on Tatooine, even yeah. when he's so obviously upset and dangerous, honestly, let's be real. I mean, the Imperial theme is playing in the background. His march <laughs> is playing in the background. That's some foreboding stuff, Padme. Listen to the score, Padme. <laughs> And can you imagine what that would do for Anakin having someone stay when others would typically run uh, when yeah. you're like feeling very negative about yourself yet this kind beautiful woman is standing by your side and still encouraging you 
um, to say that it's it's human to be angry. So like his emotions for Padme must have reached another level after that conversation. Oh yeah, it's it's not just sort of romantic flirting anymore. This this goes deeper now. Right. This is um, emotional yeah, honesty. It, you know, yeah. Yeah. This is. And I think for Anakin, you know, she meant more than just sort of a romantic flirting from the get-go. Um, but this definitely, not only does that sort of deepen the re- intimacy in the relationship for him, but she walks into it, which means she's willing to take that step closer in the relationship um, in order to reach out to him. And so that's, a, you know, even that is a step closer on her part and an opening of her heart you know, for this, this relationship, um, on her own terms there. So. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Uh, So which one of you wants to go first in the Jedi downfall? Oh, I'll take this one. I'll take this one. Run. Um, (laughs) Run. (laughs) Um, dude, I, I forgot to ask before we started. Did you happen to get that clip for me? Sure do. You set it up and I will play it. All right. Well, this is a clip in here that I think kicks off, and we kind of already touched on the topic that I want to start off with, um, that kicks off what I really think is the underlying reason behind the downfall of the Jedi. So if you could just play that for me. I am concerned for my Padawan. He is not ready to be given this assignment on his own yet. The Council is confident in its decision, Obi-Wan. The boy has exceptional skills. But he still has much to learn, Master. His abilities have made him, well, arrogant. Yes, yes. A flaw more and more common among Jedi. Hmm. Too sure of themselves they are. Even the older, more experienced ones. Remember, Obi-Wan, if the prophecy is true, your apprentice is the only one who can bring the force back into balance. Ah, uh, yeah, it's arrogance. And obviously they're talking about Anakin mainly here in this situation. But Yoda kind of gives us a glimpse into the underlying issues when he says, you know, yes, a flaw far more common among Jedi even the older, more experienced ones. And he's probably got a few people in mind when he's thinking about that. Who However, is su- who is he subtweeting? I need a name again. <laughs> I need <right>? names. <laughs> However, the irony of that statement is the fact that it also shows his arrogance. Thank you. Thank you for yeah. saying what needed to be said. The irony of all of that is, you know, he's saying, yes, even some of the older, more experienced Jedi are, are arrogant. And he knows you everything. Be talking about yourself right there, Yoda, with that comment. Um, I mean, Yoda, I love Yoda as a character because he has a you know a very interesting arc, but this highlights the problems with the Jedi at this at this period. And a lot of the problems have been ingrained and sort of uh, <laughs> the Jedi have become a bureaucracy. Uh, more than anything. And I think that's a large part of the downfall of the Jedi, but they've also become so arrogant because there has been no real challenge to their authority and to their abilities in a millennia, as, you know, Kiedi Mundi says, you know, when the last time the Sith were around. 
so that's a thousand years. The Jedi have been the top of the heap when it comes to you know uh, authority on you know policing matters and things of that nature and the go-to people to get things done. And no one has really challenged them in any meaningful way um, when it comes to their skill level and ability. And so the Jedi are arrogant. They've gotten comfortable and cushy and just sort of accepted things that, you know, that happen around them and kind of assumed this spot on Coruscant, you know, as part of the the machine, as part of the, the bureaucratic machine that the Senate um, runs. And the Jedi have become, you know, almost a policing force at the beck and call of the Senate rather than something the Senate has to request assistance from, which I think is what they were originally designed to do. Because the Jedi has become something that is so institutionalized and bureaucratized that when things start changing, when Palpatine starts putting all his dominoes into motion, they cannot react accordingly. They have to react the way Palpatine wants them to and Palpatine is planning for them to because that's the way the system is working that's the only choice they have it's the only option they have and even though you know Mace Windu says that the Jedi are keepers of the peace not soldiers as soon as an army is presented and as you know the droid army is presented Mace Windu takes a Jedi task force a Jedi strike force to Geonosis to confront it it, you know, it, it, it's even before the clone army gets there, a Jedi task force, a Jedi strike team is sent to, as an advance party to fight a war, basically to fight a war. I think the Jedi stopped looking inward um, because they had so long of peace uh, without the conflict, as you said. Like, they stop looking at themselves in ways that they need to grow, and they started looking at other people. Like, it's so easy for us to point out the flaws in others when we have flaws of our own. Um, yeah. And the only person that can – the only change we can make is actually in ourselves. We can't – it's extremely hard to change other people. But we can change ourselves fairly easily. It's just a matter of – choices and actions um so it's right. so frustrating that yoda should and, be looking in the mirror right and and that's what he begins to realize during the clone war and something that he is then able to focus on in exile um he ultimately does realize it but you know while the jedi are you know try to remain humble and try to remain uh you know beyond the fray of politics, it's very hard not to get a little arrogant when you're sitting in your temple looking down on the city around you. Yeah. Um, just saying. Uh, you know. I think, I think you had such a good point about how uh, Sidious knows how the Jedi will react to any situation because they've fallen so far into this bureaucracy, you know, yeah. where the bureaucracy has rules and it has decorum. And if one thing happens, another thing immediately has to happen. Like a form has to be filled out, right? Yes. For me, that ties into the Jedi have become so rigidly adherent to their code. They they can't and won't break their code for anything, even 
something as extraordinary as a chosen one showing up on their doorstep. You know what I mean? So Palpatine is able, I think, to manipulate that because he knows that if he does one thing, the Jedi have to respond in a certain way because of their code. And I think to me, when we're talking about what caused the downfall of the Jedi, I always go back to, well, they they weren't open to the living force and they they, uh, worship their code above anything else. Yeah. And and I, I want to make this clear. The Jedi are my favorite part of Star Wars. And so when Luke says it's time for the Jedi to end, there's a twinge of fear that oh, yeah. strikes I'm my not, heart. I'm um, not here to drag the Jedi. No, <laughs> it's not my but, game. <laughs> but I will say, you know, part of the, the uh, storytelling, part of the reason for the prequels is to tell us that while the Jedi ideal is noble and why many of the Jedi inside the Order are noble and good and, you know, true people, the order as a whole has become something it wasn't designed to be. And because the order has become something it wasn't designed to be or has overreached what it was originally supposed to be, they are now constrained by the decorum of politics, the decorum of the the social... um, political scene that they're involved in and they are they fall under the direction of the chancellor rather than being something set apart that the chancellor or the senate can request aid from they are you know given a mission hey we need two uh jedi to be ambassadors um on the chancellor's behalf to deal with this trade dispute on naboo uh you know hey we need you know this that and the other thing and the Jedi go, okay, and they find out who should be sent, and they send them, you know, that sort of thing. And and it's one of those things where the Jedi have become so institutionalized that they, as an order, cannot move in a way that is agile enough to adapt. And the downfall of the Jedi happens in Attack of the Clones. Mm-hmm. This is where it goes wrong. I mean, that's that's the whole point of the prequels, right? Is to show yes. how this all went wrong and how we our republic gave rise to an empire. Right. We we see the end, the bloody, destructive end of the Jedi in Revenge of the Sith. But that's just, you know, the death throes of the Jedi at that point, the Jedi Order at that point. The death of the Jedi, the downfall of the Jedi really happens here. This is where Palpatine sl- stuck the poison knife in their ribs. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's only a matter of time before it, they succumb to it. Man, I think this is a good place to bring up my favorite quote from this movie. And that's when Queen Jamila says, the day we stop believing democracy can work is the day we lose it. And that's exactly what happens with the Senate and with the Jedi. They stop believing in peaceful resolutions and talking things through. They vote all of their you know, power away. They give emergency powers to Palpatine. They stop believing in the power of democracy and then they lose it. To be fair, though, there was mm-hmm. the separatists that were going to attack them no matter what. Um, and that's also due to Palpatine's machinations. Um, because, you know, you got your boy Dooku there, who's charismatic and appealing and a former Jedi, so he's got the character to make this seem legitimate, at least on the surface. Um and he's, you know, a charming man with the voice that could, you know hypnotize the masses 
uh, let's be honest, uh, Christopher <laughs> Lee is a gem. Um, I love the man. Um, I wish he was still making movies. Um, from Tell us how you really but, feel. Do um, don't hold back. Too? Oh, I, I should. I have, <laughs> anyway, I need to stop. But you have, <laughs> you have that side of the whole battle that's already moving uh, to an aggressive stance. Um, and so the Republic and the Jedi are forced to respond to it in a way that hmm. destroys I, I, democracy and, you know, gives all power to the chancellor. So I'm not sure I entirely agree because I think kind of part of the point is that the Jedi felt like they didn't have a choice. They felt like they were being forced into this, but you always have a choice and you can choose how you fight. And so their downfall begins here when, when they don't believe that they have a choice and they're, they have this army and they start being soldiers. Because uh, isn't that kind of the point of what, you know, Yoda says to Ezra in Rebels? You know, Yoda obviously is at a very different point in his arc in Rebels where he's come to realize you always have a choice and you can choose how you fight. I mean, they, yes. they come the to a point in uh, the Fives arc where they know that the army that they have of the clones was created by Dooku the leader of the opposition. So why would the leader of the opposition create the army that you're actually fighting them with? Like, it's so sinister that this army was created for 10 years and nobody knew about it. And the only way that they're having war is that the, the conspiracy happened. Like, they, they created this clone army 10 years ago and... The Dooku, the leader of the opposition, had a finger in it. So why would he create the army you're going to fight him with? It's just so messed up. And to draw you into conflict. They didn't right. believe that they had a choice, and they didn't believe in the power of democracy. I mean, I know that's a really hard thing to believe in when you're being attacked. But then again, it, I think Yoda comes to realize you can choose how you fight. Yes, yes, there's a way to choose how you fight. But, um, again, I want to go back to the the meeting on Geonosis with Dooku and all of the Separatist leaders there who are pledging their droid armies to go out and attack the Republic. Mm -hmm. they, mm -hmm. are, they are assembling their armies, they're pooling their resources, and they are going to do damage in order to make the Republic... To bring the Republic to the negotiating table so the Republic will give them what they want. That is the way that this has been pitched to the Separatist uh, leaders. Uh, they are going to create this army. They're going to do some damage, attack some planets, and bring the Republic on its knees to them so that the Republic will give them whatever they want. Um, of course, that's when the clone army comes into play, and that doesn't happen. Um, so you get this long, drawn-out fight that neither side was expecting. Right. Except for, you know, Palpatine and Duke. They're <laughs> planning and masterminding the whole thing. Yeah. So. I mean, you know, not to dwell too much on Rebels, but that, that scene where uh, Ezra is looking at a clone and looking at a droid and goes, well, if you guys didn't win, then who did? And it's, yeah, Palpatine's the only one who wins here, honestly. Yes, right. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that... Okay. Um... 
I think that the Jedi also made a mistake, like you were saying, Katie, by not listening to the living force, by seeing things, warning signs, um, specifically Obi-Wan talking to Anakin about his nightmares, about his mother, and then doing nothing about it. Um, he had a conversation uh, when they were in the elevator or um, when Padme was in her room about his nightmares with his mother, and Obi-Wan just kind of dismisses it. Um, and then Yoda hears Anakin's pain um, and hears Qui-Gon's voice saying no, but Yoda doesn't do anything about that either. Like, to, to, to hear these warning signs and to not follow up with it and course correct is yeah. a mistake. I feel, like, I feel like the Force is giving them so many clues. Like, the Force is trying to whack them over the head, and they're just like... Is, is someone knock at the door? What? Yeah, yeah. Never. They it was are, nothing, nothing. The Jedi are so behind the ball on this because yeah. they're only just now realizing the shroud uh, that has been placed around them, the fog of lies, the you know the the murkiness that they cannot see through in the Force that the the Sith have put around them. They are so behind the ball, and that is, I believe, largely due to their arrogance. You know, as to go back to the first point, they've been so arrogant they didn't think something like this could ever happen. And as Palpatine is sitting back in his office tipping dominoes over... <laughs> uh, I'm imagining him at his desk with literal dominoes. Thank you for that mental image. <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, Yoda is just realizing, oh, crap. There's a lot of dark side going on here. Yeah. Um, and they they are so behind the ball that they can't address it because they didn't think something like this could happen because of their arrogance. So, you know. Oh, they, man. What about the part where, like, Dooku comes in and literally says, the Senate is being controlled by a man named Darth Sidious. Right. <laughs> and nobody follows up on that. <laughs> right. Oh, right. Right. <laughs> I mean, he gives the entire truth. By the way, this is what's happening, you know. The you know Sith Lord called Darth Sidious, and he's controlling the entire Senate. Um, yeah, and no one follows up on it. Not really? Um, I mean, they start kind of an investigation during the Clone War to find out who this Darth Sidious could be. They don't look at the leader of the Senate because they're too arrogant to think that the Sith could be right under their nose. They think he has to be influencing and controlling the Senate from the outside rather right. than the inside. And Palpatine's just an adorable grandma. It's not like he... Grandma? Grandpa, grandpa, grandpa. Oh my God. Grandma, grandpa. You know what I meant. Right. <laughs> Same thing. Yeah, you know, he's a little babushka with, you know, a little uh, blanket <laughs> draped around his shoulder. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you're welcome for that mental image too. <laughs> oh dear. Like, okay, all right, all right. Last oh mental my... image: little Babushka Palpatine sitting at his desk playing with dominoes. There you go. I tied it together. Wow. There it is. Katie and bingo. Um... And bingo. Yeah. <laughs> like he can't go to Senate hearings on Tuesday nights. It's bingo night. Oh, no. <laughs> Block that out. <laughs> Where was I? <laughs> He's got bingo night with Lot Dodd. Well, um, <laughs> no, well, it's like they're not going to look at Palpatine because he's just an adorable grandpa. It's not like he's got red face and tattoos and horns sprouting out of his head. Like, that was obviously a Sith, but cute grandpa, that's not a Sith. Come on. We need to talk about, like, 
so the Sith oh. tell us like the truth, and because they know that they're so mistrusted, if they tell them the truth, they'll never believe it to begin with. But right. the Jedi lie out their teeth Be from a certain <laughs> point of view. What I'm going to tell you and spin to you is true from a certain point of view. So uh, it's sometimes they go about things in the wrong way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I find it interesting that Obi-Wan's uh, impression of Dooku was so spot on in that moment because to their knowledge, he's still just a former Jedi who is disillusioned with the Republic right. and is trying to make a change politically, you know, but Obi-Wan immediately just says traitor. Yeah. Yeah. Obi-Wan's the only one seeing clearly here, but he's not in a position at this point to start an investigation into this Darth Sidious character but, of course, he doesn't necessarily believe it because he says, you know, it's impossible. The Jedi would have, you know, suspected it. Once more. Well, also, he was, a little, he was a little tied up at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Katie, I have to uh, applaud you and commend you for finding a way to bring uh, Maul into this discussion. The horn uh, one? every every yes. discussion about Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you, thank you. I'm taking a little bow. Thank you, thank you. Take a drink. I think... I think uh, I, I want to pull the conversation to Dooku and the Yoda versus Dooku fight. Okay. Yeah. I love Dooku. Uh, I love Yoda, so cool. let's go. I mean, yeah, Dooku fascinates me because, like, just as Qui-Gon's master, he fascinates me. I want to hear more about him as a Jedi and him as, as Qui-Gon's mentor. Like, I want all of that. And then he fascinates me as as a Sith. I think, again, I'm going to pull this back to Maul. I think Maul was really spot on when he called Dooku a Sith pretender. Because Dooku doesn't even get the yellow eyes. I mean, sure, he learns how to shoot lightning, which I think just comes down to him being really gifted with the Force in general. But I don't think he's ever, like, really into this whole Sith thing. Like, I don't think he really believes in the Sith because he doesn't give in to his rage like that and get the yellow eyes or anything. I just, I find that really fascinating. I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I feel, like there, I feel like there was uh, a, a scene or two where the yellow eyes showed up during Clone Wars. I believe oh, you're was correct. It? Yeah. I think. Um, and I, I, yeah. Yes. He's learned to control the yellow eyes because it, when you got the yellow Sith eyes, um, that that kind of kills your uh, campaigning ability as the leader <laughs> of the Separatist Alliance. I think specifically it was when uh, Saw's Ventures came into his room to assassinate him. I think that's yeah. when he had, yeah. With the Night Sisters, I think I, I think it was some of his interactions with the Night Sisters he had. Huh, I don't remember that at all. Oh well, an excuse to go watch the Night Sister arc again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Thanks for that. Not that I need an excuse. Sure. But I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and say that he's pretending to be the Sith because during the Clone Wars we see how subservient he is to the Sith way of doing things when it comes to the way he deals with Palpatine. And the fact that he was trying to train his own apprentice to overthrow Palpatine, uh, you know, very much according to the Sith way. Um I, I he's a different kind of Sith. He's sure. Sure, he's that's more, fair. He's more along the lines of a Palpatine Sith than a Maul or a Vader Sith. 
Um, yeah. Because Palpatine has to play the Chancellor. He has to play the kindly old man who has who it befalls to deal with this terrible situation in the galaxy. Um, and you have to have some sort of charismatic personality who can be trusted on the opposite side of that in order to create this evenly matched conflict. Um, you know what and, it is. You know what it is. Hmm. Palpatine and Dooku are like full on Queen Elsa with the gloves, conceal don't feel like her hair is all, you know, done up. <laughs> and she's like, she's Elsa at the beginning of the movie, but Maul and Vader are full on Snow Queen singing Let It Go on a mountain, just like Dark Side. <laughs> Congratulations, Jason. You've just had like Maul and Elsa being brought in. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to that, so I'm going to talk about Dooku some more. Um, <laughs> do that. Do that. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, <laughs> I think Dooku's turn to the dark side is the most fascinating out of any Sith uh, because he leaves the Jedi Order on his own accord. He's obviously manipulated a bit by Palpatine, but... He the Sith because he thinks it's the, the the path that will take him to make things right according to the way he sees things you know to to combat the corruption that he sees and the disillusionment he has with the Republic joining the Sith gives him the best opportunity to right the wrongs he sees in that and I think he's one of the most genuine um, honest of the Sith in that regard, because uh, he he joined this path for altruistic motives, at least according to him, um, whereas it was foisted upon the likes of Maul. Uh, Anakin was sort of cornered into that and manipulated uh, to join the dark side as Darth Vader. Who knows what Palpatine... Palpatine was probably just spawned in some dark side <laughs> lab somewhere uh, due to the complete evil that he is. Um, <laughs> but I... Think, I know, like that mental image, too. Spawned. I like that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> he just crawls out of the dark side ooze. Yeah. Right? He's, he's, he's already 90 years old. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> that's why he only has... Well, I was going to say that's why he only has one name, but I take it back. <laughs> He's got a first name. It's Sheev. Sheev. Sheev yep. Palpatine, uh, which is, you know, no wonder he turned to the dark side. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I, I think Dooku's decision to join the Sith is one of the most fascinating out of any of them because he did it for what he believed to be altruistic motives. Yeah. No, so. that's a really good point. I, I agree. Dooku also fascinates me in very similar ways where I'm just kind of like, what's your deal? <laughs> what? I just, I want to pick apart his brain. Jason, you know, just let really me dive into there. Ask mm -hmm. you a question. It's kind of a callback to our last episode. I, I think that Dooku would have trained Qui-Gon to become like very free thinking, like to think for yourself, which is why I think Dooku turn from the dark side is because he thought for himself and the Jedi weren't aligned with what he thought was the right thing. So I think that that is a principle he would have instilled in the Qui-Gon 
which is why Qui-Gon is so bold to to follow what he feels the living force is um, for himself and not really worry about the dogma of the Jedi Order. Do you, would you well, agree I, with that? I would agree with that because obviously, you know, Dooku is enough of a, you know, of a maverick or enough of a free thinker to decide that the Jedi isn't for him at such a late stage in his life. You know, it, he could have just said, well, I've done it for so long, I might as well just ride out this wave, even though I'm having issues with it. But he goes, no, I've got means, I've got a title back home if I want it, I'm going to go take it. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, goes and becomes Count Dooku. Um, and I would think that's part of why Qui-Gon is such a, a maverick. I think Qui-Gon has a more uh, grounded and uh, more... I don't think innocent is the right word I'm looking for. A more... Pure? Pure. That's the word I'm looking for. A more pure approach to his free thinking and his open-mindedness because he has that focused on the living force. Yeah. And I think I don't think Dooku, while he's free thinking, I don't think Dooku had the connection to the living force that Qui-Gon obviously so earnestly sought out. Um, And I think that's where the difference between the two of them lies and why I think I would agree with Obi-Wan when he says Qui-Gon Jinn would never join you uh, when when Dooku um, offers him the opportunity to join him. I Uh, agree. I, I think Qui-Gon would have been sympathetic mm-hmm. and understanding, but he would have said, that's not the path. That's not the yeah. right path. He would have uh, been like, he, he would have been like, okay, I, I understand like maybe the first three steps you've taken, but you've yeah. gone so far. You need to rein it in. Do you have any yellow eyes? You got yellow eyes. You need to rein it in. <laughs> I just, this Attack of the Clones just really makes me miss Qui-Gon because of his willingness to listen and to... I've missed Qui-Gon every day since 1999. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, no, it's... It's one of those things where Qui-Gon is such... So much would have been different if Qui-Gon hadn't died in The Phantom Menace. Mm-hmm. So much would have been different. And I think Palpatine is secretly very pleased at the death of Qui-Gon um, at the end of, of Phantom Menace because Qui-Gon could have become an issue further down oh, the road. Yeah, Qui-Gon would have been like a huge wild card, pulling Dooku back, you know, like, right. and then influencing Anakin. It, it would have been a whole thing. <laughs> yeah. No, and, I, and maybe even, you know, have discovered Sifo-Dyas and the clone army much earlier, you mm-hmm. know, when the clones are barely two, you know, that sort of thing. You know, I, I don't know, you know, the extent, but Qui-Gon would have been a huge thorn in Palpatine's side. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and there's a reason why we, why we can't have that if we have the rest of this saga. Yeah. Right. I want, I'm sorry. It's I all want Katie's five more fault. movies. It's my yeah. fault. It's all Katie's fault. Her I wanted five movies. I'm sorry. Oh, because he had to. He had to get at least one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Oh, I guess I could take the blame for that. I mean, if uh, if loving Maul, if this is the cost. <laughs> <laughs> I I super want to talk about this Yoda and Dooku fight, okay. y'all. Just it's because it's so controversial. Like so many people hate Yoda pulling out the lightsaber. 
Hit me. Thoughts? Why like, no. is that a problem? <laughs> I don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with it either. In fact, I really, really like it. I will advocate for it. Oh, what do you I think? I will tell you, I will tell you the one time, other than going to see The Force Awakens on opening night, um, the one time that I've heard a theater cheer is when Yoda pulled out his lightsaber in Attack of the Clones. Me too. I remember. Yeah. I remember that. It was one of those things where the energy was just electric. The the force duel was ramping things up in the theater for me, you know, back in 2002. (laughs) And then all of a sudden we get the, you know, the choir starts. And we get that shot panning around Yoda, and he flips open his cape. Oh, my gosh. Pulls his lightsaber to his hand with the Force and ignites it, and the crowd went nuts. That was (laughs) so freaking perfect. The fact that he didn't actually pull out the lightsaber, but he called the lightsaber to his hand. Oh, Mm -hmm. my gosh. That was so perfect and badass. It wasn't funny. That was really cool. Yeah. Well, I I remember that so distinctly, too, seeing that movie for the first time and how nuts people went to see Yoda with a lightsaber. And and I feel maybe just because I was a kid, but I feel like the reaction to that was positive. Maybe the Internet was going nuts, absolutely hating that, you know, scene back then, too. But I I just remember seeing T-shirts of Yoda with a lightsaber, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that was a huge selling point for this movie. I mean, when they did the the IMAX release, they had Yoda with the lightsaber ignited standing over, I guess, what was it, San Francisco or whatever it was as their their IMAX poster. You know, it was this huge Yoda standing over the Golden Gate Bridge, I'm pretty sure, with his lightsaber ignited. And and it was huge. I think the Internet decided... Later on, sometime between Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith, um, that it was dumb. No, oh. I think that happened. I think that happened later. Is yeah. that my generation complaining that he moves too fast and? Uh, yeah, yeah, oh. well, yeah. You ruined Jar Jar and you ruined Yoda with a lightsaber. I hope you're proud of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I thought it was great because I you thought have it was great this, too. This community of little Jedi who the only way he's going to be able to take out somebody of a normal size other than just, like, cutting their ankles out from underneath them, he's going to have to jump around in order to, to do any sort of real damage or get any sort of advantage. Come back he's here, just, I'll bite your knees off. Sorry. I know, right? That's exactly what I started picturing, too. <laughs> Come back here. I'll bite your leg off. Um, you don't have any legs. Yes, uh, I have. I remember... Okay, I remember so specifically, I, I knew someone who had a, a you know, fan printed T-shirt and it had Yoda holding a, a, a soda can that said, you know, whoop ass. And he was like, <laughs> want me to open this. You do not. <laughs> right. Like everybody was just so excited to see Yoda just go crazy and, you know, hit somebody with a lightsaber. That was it. Was, it was just so cool. And I still love it. But. Like, for me, I guess, you know, the idea, is this cool or not? Does it look stupid to you? You It's a matter of opinion. Um, For me, though, I think it ties in super well to, like, just the saga as a whole because everybody in this movie is taking up arms and fighting even though they know they they shouldn't. And Yoda is taking up arms against his actual apprentice. This was someone who he raised as a small boy and was close to. 
and here they are fighting. And I think Yoda, like specifically using a lightsaber, that really goes a long way to underscore Luke's choice at the end of six to throw his lightsaber aside because he, this makes him the only Jedi to do that because yeah. even Yoda used a lightsaber. Yeah. Even Yoda wouldn't lay down arms, but Luke does. So yeah. I think it's, yeah, I think it's super important to see Yoda specifically using a lightsaber. The other force tricks were cool. That made Yoda look super sweet. But I, it's just, it's so important to me to see Yoda use that lightsaber too because it helps underscore the payoff of Luke at the end of six. Yeah. It is obvious this context cannot be decided by our knowledge of the force, but by our skills with a lightsaber. And then, he brings ah. out, and then he brings out your favorite lightsaber. Oh, it is. <laughs> and the salute is so awesome. I love uh, I love Dooku's oh, right? style. Oh, it's just so kind elegant. of the way he points the lightsaber, right? After he ignites it, mm -hmm. so good. It's so good. Uh, so, <laughs> I, so fantastic. I think when I first saw it, I, I didn't understand that Yoda in Attack of the Clones is a very, very different Yoda than Empire Strikes Back. And I did not expect to see Yoda with flaws. Um, and it, I guess it took a lot of time for me to figure that out. Um, but Yoda in Attack of the Clones doesn't know yet that the Force should be used for knowledge and defense, never for attack. Right. I think he knows. He's just forgotten. I don't think he knows that yet because he hasn't gone oh, through yeah? the okay. the steps um, in the Yoda arc of the Attack of the Clones. Like it, I think fair. it's normal for them to to run into battle. Like they, as you said, they sent an attack force to fight a war, basically in Geonosis. Uh, they haven't reached that knowledge of Empire Strikes Back. I think that that is the only argument that against Yoda in Attack of the Clones fighting is if you're expecting Yoda to have that understanding, then he shouldn't pick up a lightsaber but he's not that person yet and that's just something that we had to understand that's the yeah. that's the big thing is this prequel trilogy highlights is that the jedi order and yoda is emblematic of that he's the one that we really see the order through mm -hmm. um has these flaws they're essentially good essentially noble in their intentions and what they are trying to do, but they are flawed, so deeply flawed that they cannot respond in a matter that uh, could stop this conflict um, because of the way that they have grown arrogant and complacent. I think that's another thing, is that the Jedi have become very complacent in their arrogance. Yeah, well, they're really secure in their place in the universe. You know, who could topple the, the Jedi Temple? Like, it's inconceivable to them that in yeah. 15 years or so, the Jedi Temple will be in ash. Like, they can't conceive that at all. They're, they're really secure and comfortable in their place. They yeah. had no threat. They had no, um, nothing that they had to... Well, worry and the about. Sith couldn't, the Sith could not return without them knowing it, right? Like, um, right. <laughs> right. It, oh yeah mace windu i mm, yeah i i you I are so emblematic of the problems in the <laughs> jedi order let's just yeah. put it at, let's just leave it at that yeah 
Are we ready uh, for the end of the movie? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Yes. Oh, yeah. So after just... the fight, we finally get uh, Dooku going back to Coruscant. Which, by the way, you know he's got to have some secret hookup to get through the Coruscant security after leaving <laughs> Geonosis as the leader of the Separatist Alliance. <laughs> Bureaucracy talk. I love it. I'm just imagining like Dooku flashing his ID badge. You know, he's got one of those like little zipper things on, uh, you know, to attach it to his belt. So he just, like... he's got a flag he puts oh, on front of his um, on his ship oh. that just he's a diplomat that he gets free passage. Oh, right. Oh yeah. Diplomatic immunity. Um, <laughs> dear God. But I mean, seriously. This is the leader of the opposition force, and he just flies his way into Coruscant, just yep. super just casual. Rolled on casual. in. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I guess I can't be too surprised because, you know, the leader of the Sis is, you know, like right there under their nose. So, of course, Dooku can just slide in. <laughs> You would have thought, though, they would have yeah. had a bolo out for that <laughs> Genosian solar sailor, which is pretty unique and kind of cool. Yeah, um, yeah so it's, pretty, it's pretty cool. It's pretty nifty. And yet it just shows up and flies. Obviously, he's not using, you know, authorized space lanes, but right. um, still, right. still pretty ballsy. Um, they just, they, yeah, they completely dropped the ball on that one. <laughs> Although Palpatine hope, probably had something to do with that. I hope somebody got fired for that blunder. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, Brian, okay. we completely derailed you before you got started. Okay. I mean, I mean, I'm his co-host. He's used to being derailed. Let's be real. <laughs> so Dooku basically says that the Clone War has started to Sidious, and Sidious set, uh, welcomes him as Lord Tyrannus. Um, so it's the final piece of the puzzle that we weren't aware of, that Dooku is Tyrannus, and he's behind the plot. And it's kind of like a giant reveal that Sidious is the Phantom Menace uh, that was basically the puppet master through the first two movies uh and it's kind of a big reveal yeah well i don't i don't know if if sidious is such a big reveal because he's obviously working against the republic uh but the fact that he's still on coruscant you know is kind mm -hmm. of big because I mean, Some people still haven't made the connection between Palpatine and Sidious. How so. is that possible? How, how is that? He and Maul literally had a conversation on his balcony outside his office. I, no, I, I, I kid you not. Okay. I've, I've heard of these debates where people were like, well, is Sidious Palpatine's brother or like oh an evil God. twin? I've heard of these debates. I've heard of these conversations happen. Um, I can't. I, I cannot. I'm done. <laughs> I've, I've heard of people being completely blown away that Sidious and Palpatine are the same person. Like, people that have never seen Star Wars before. Oh, my gosh. So, I, you know I had honestly, toys when I was a little kid that said Emperor Palpatine. Yes. Right. Yes. See, right? I knew the minute I... I knew before I went in and saw the Phantom Menace that Palpatine was a Sith Lord. Yeah, exactly. I, 
I, and then of course I see Chancellor Pal- Senator Palpatine, and I'm like, oh, well, he's going to be the bad guy. Yeah, uh, exactly. But, I was honestly, I was so blown away by that the first time I saw Phantom Menace, and you know, Padme Senator going Senator Palpatine, and I was like, what? <laughs> I'm like, how he looks totally different. He's not all gross and melty. What? Like, blew <laughs> well, my mind. Well, I, I, I suppose we should say if someone has never seen Star Wars and they start with the prequels, I can see how that would be a surprise. Okay. I still, I don't know how you can get past Maul and Sidious having a conversation right outside of Palpatine's office. How do you, how do you not? There are but lots of the buildings time. there. I mean, it sure. is possible okay. there's another balcony. That's the, that's the only time we see that balcony in the movie, and you don't really see it well see in any window. other shot. Can't you? You can see it through the windows. Uh, slightly-ish. Uh, if you okay. know what you're looking for, you'll recognize sure. it. But oh, you know. Hang on. Hang on. You're telling me there's people who don't watch the Phantom Menace <laughs> obsessively? I... I, I'm sorry, I can't believe that. That just that yeah, clashes they, too much with my worldview. There, so. there are people who do not freeze frame that conversation. <laughs> oh, dear Lord, huh. I don't. Uh, you know, I'm gonna compartmentalize that and uh, and just <laughs> shove it way, way down. And uh, sorry, I think I just blacked out for the last 15 seconds. What were we? Where are we? Are we talking about Dooku? We were talking oh, about oh. how much we love Maul again. Oh, of course. I mean, yeah, that's what we always talk about. He's beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. Beautiful. Um, I will say, though, that the reveal that, you know, this has been all planned. You know, the war has begun. E- excellent. Everything is going as planned. You know, that this is all a big con, a big game, uh, you know, that the Sith have been playing and have been planning for a long time. Mm-hmm. That's you know, scary. <laughs> Did you guys see the Death Star on your first or second or third viewing of Attack oh, yeah. of the Clones? Oh yeah, no, I nearly flipped um, in my Wait, seat theater. Is that yeah the little hologram thing? Yeah, they, oh, that's, yeah. that's so obviously the Death Star. I didn't think that was ambiguous at all. No, it's what? not. But like. Oh, okay. The fact that they're actually planning to build the Death Star already in Attack of the Clones was kind of a cool reveal. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it always made sense to me that it would have taken that long to build since it's the size of a planet, you know, or a small moon, you know? Yeah. 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 So, and it is a cool reveal. I mean, you're right. I would rather have that in the movie than it just be implied. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, it was it was really awesome, and Pago Lesser's there saying, "Oh, don't worry, all that fun stuff about you know how the Republic can't get their hands on the plans for the ultimate weapon." What he said. Uh, <laughs> yeah, do that again. <laughs> Can you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I like I, it. I, 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 you know. <laughs> That's so good. I love I that have you watched can Attack do that. I have watched Attack of the Clones way too much. Oh, Just... man. Man, the <laughs> only thing that happens when you watch Phantom Menace over and over again, you learn to go, Alomanumatafa. <laughs> <laughs> man, yours is way more impressive. We <laughs> 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 Yippee! My favorite Star Wars movie is the one where Darth Vader says, yippee. <laughs> oh my. I am now uh, trying to imagine James Earl Jones saying, yippee. 
Uh, dreams. I mean, it could still happen somewhere in the Disney lineup. You know, keep no. keep believing. Dreams no, do come true. Yeah, <laughs> unless it's Robot Chicken. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, bringing it back to the uh, the end of the movie. Sure. I really like how Yoda makes it very very clear. He states, you know, and no uncertain terms that this is a bad thing. He's like, this was not a victory. And he looks so sad when he says, uh, you know, the gun the Clone Wars have. Yeah. Like, ah, oh, he just, he, you know, in case anybody missed it, that going to war is bad. It's no yeah. good. Yeah, no, and, and uh, Obi-Wan and Mace are standing there going, yeah, no, at least we won, you know, at least we, we got out of there and it, it's, it's, we're doing okay. You know, they've already moved into the mindset of it's Republic versus separatist, you know, Jedi, you know, droids versus clones. They've already moved into that mindset and Yoda's the only one going, wait a second. This may be the way we're moving, but this is a bad thing, you know? Yeah. Victory. Master Obi-Wan, not victory, you know? The yeah. shroud of the dark side has fallen, begun the Clone War has. And I, I just, I have to say, I, I remember watching the documentary on the DVD. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that scene, that shot in particular, uh, was nicknamed the Widowmaker oh, because man. George could not get it right. He was always yeah. told he's too sad or he's too smug or, <laughs> you know, change it, you know. And yeah. it took so long for them to get that that shot right where he says that line I, uh, I remember that documentary so well and I recommend it to anybody who has the time to go dig it up on YouTube because there's a really great moment where George Lucas is watching you know Yoda deliver this line but he looks really really sad like he's about to cry or something because right, like, again he's like make him like, sadder like he needs George an Lucas, antidepressant you know <laughs> and then George Lucas goes poor little Yoda <laughs> <laughs> It's just—it's so worth it to hear George Lucas say those words. Right. Rob Coleman yeah. is so great in that um, bonus feature. He's like, "Oh, good. I wanted it to be too sad. We—we—we—at least now we know we don't want to go that sad. We have a border, <laughs> a boundary that we can establish." <laughs> See uh, now, oh man, now I'm mixing franchises here. Um, it reminds me of the way the uh, production crew on Lord of the Rings was with Peter Jackson um, and the the mace for the Wraith King. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's like, uh, no, that's pretty cool looking. Make it bigger. And so they made oh it bigger. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and he's like, that's, that's getting there. Make it bigger. And they make it, <laughs> then they make it like three or four more times <laughs> until it's absurdly huge. <laughs> Like absurdly, obscenely huge, and he goes, "I guess that'll work." (laughs) That's so good. Oh man! (laughs) We can we can be thankful that Peter Jackson was not directing the Widowmaker scene in Attack of the Clones because Yoda would have been bawling his eyes out. Make him sadder. No, make his ears droopier. He would have been sobbing in the corner in a fetal position. You know, oh, your comments. The Star Wars that could have been. <laughs> does make me think that I'm a little sad that we missed this speech of uh, Saw Guerrera in uh, Rogue One when he says, um, What will you do if they catch you? What will you do um, if you keep what fighting? Will you do they... What will you do when they break you? What, 
if you keep fighting, what will you become? Like, I think that that's kind of a problem and a theme in Star Wars is that if you do fight for long enough, you just, you change to become like a servant to war. And so then peace is never a part of your life. Like you become part of like a warmongering machine. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, that's part of why I want to see Hera retire so bad, because they brought up the fact that she's been fighting all her life and mm-hmm. she was shaped by the by the Clone Wars. I mean, Thrawn has a line, like, specifically calling out, you were forged by this. Right. She's never known peace. And I'm like, just let Hera retire. Let her go find a planet filled with sun. <laughs> uh, I don't know if she can. I don't know if she can, but, I because, mean... Uh... Mm-hmm. I, not yeah. to get off on a side tangent of Rebels, but I'm going to anyway. Um, yes, do it. I, I like I, tangents. Do it. Um, <laughs> she is so devoted, and obviously she's still working with the Rebel Alliance by the time of Rogue One, which is still at least a year out from where um, they are in, in Rebels right now. Kanan is halfway out the door. Mm-hmm. You know, he's got a foot out the door going, when are we getting out of this? What, you know, when is enough? And she's honestly tells him, I never thought about it. Yeah. And that's, oh, that's heartbreaking. It is. Um, oh. And I, I have this terrible feeling that Kanan is going to leave and Hera can't. Yeah. She can't pull herself away from the cause. The, she has the same problem that leia does is that the cause is all important mm-hmm. you know and that can be such a good thing and it can be not so good thing when it comes to your personal relationships um yeah, yeah. so hera and leia would get along just great um but i i think luke starts thinking like kanan um, the farther we get away from return of the jedi as we come towards uh the force awakens and the last jedi so I don't know if you're interested, but um, Vanessa Marshall did have a really good interview with Fangirls Growing Rogue, I believe it was yesterday or today. And she actually talks about what she thinks Hera would do post-Return of the Jedi, and that being one of the areas that she's most interested in. Um, So if you get a chance, check out that. That sounds really cool. Cool. Yeah, I, I might have to do that. Um, but yeah, no, and then the the end of Attack of the Clones though is mm-hmm. that final domino gets pushed over by Palpatine. Yeah. standing out there, taking in the clone army, you know, assembling and marshalling on Coruscant and heading out to the galaxy to fight this war for the Republic. Oh um, man, can we talk such, about? It's oh, it's so good. A, moments and the way that they play the Imperial March and yeah. is almost like a military march, you know, sort of hey, let's stir up the crowd, let's get everybody into this, and the only one on that balcony that knows that this is bad is Bail Organa. Oh, that's uh, what I was going to say. I was going to say, can we talk about how sad and defeated Bail Organa looks? Oh, that's so good. Precious man. Yeah, Bail Organa and Yoda are on the same wavelength here. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, you know, begun the clone war has the shroud of the dark side has fallen this is bad you know this is not a victory you know um 
and and there's a reason why Bail Organa uh, joins the Rebel Alliance so easily. So, um, yeah, it, uh, yeah, it's such a it's such a Bail. a small moment, but so powerful. So we get that shot of him just you know drop his head mm-hmm. and punch the balcony, the railing there on the balcony. It just yeah. uh, it's, it's so, so subtle because there's so much going on in that scene. You know, the music's very powerful and the visuals, you know, of, of all the uh, storm clone troopers marching. And, and the, Bale the is rumbling just, of the ships taking off. Yeah, there's so much going on that he's almost you know, just drowned out by this scene. But at the same time, you know, my eye is drawn to him because he just looks so defeated. And he's the only one who knows that this is this is not the way. Oh my gosh, I love Attack of the Clones. <laughs> Me too. Jason, yep. this has been so much fun. I cannot begin to thank you enough for coming on. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me. I Any excuse to talk about Star Wars and Attack of the Clones in particular, I will take. Because um, I, I, think, I think we only said this off air here, but Attack of the Clones is my second favorite Star Wars movie. Uh only behind Return of the Jedi. So I don't think Attack of the Clones gets nearly the love it deserves. Oh, not um, at all. I, I understand I why people, you know, say it's their least favorite. I can, I understand, I, I hear the arguments for that, but I don't think it gets the love it deserves. Um, yeah. There's so much good and so much, it's so dense, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it is probably one of the most dense Star Wars movies that we have. So there, it, there is a lot going on and it asks, it asks you to invest an awful lot yeah. and it, it works against it in some areas and it works really well, I think as, as a star Wars movie, because, you know, we do get so invested in these movies. So <laughs> I, I understand the complaints. Like you said, I, I hear them, but I can't agree. And every time I hear somebody say, Oh, this movie's terrible. I want to go, can I, can I at least try to convince you otherwise? Like, can we right. sit down? I'll buy you a coffee. <laughs> can, I, can I try? Like, it, it's right. totally cool. It's totally cool if they still hate it after talking to me because everybody can have their opinion. But I'm like, let me at least try. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I'm like, let, let's, let's just have this conversation. At least be open to listening to what I have to say about it. Because exactly. I've got, I've got thoughts. <laughs> I have so and many. Lots of them. <laughs> <laughs> If our listeners oh. want to find you, Jason, where can they find you? Oh, they can find me, uh, obviously, on my own Star Wars podcast, uh, the Wampus Lair podcast, um, facebook.com slash Wampus Lair, at Wampus Lair on Twitter, all that fun stuff. Um, if any of your listeners are interested in Doctor Who, I have a Doctor Who podcast as well called Talking Time Lords. Uh, we are on a little bit of a hiatus as we get some stuff uh, situated and some changes done behind the scenes, but we're looking to start back up for the next month or so as we gear up towards the Christmas special in December. So um, that's uh, talkingtimelords.com for all the contact information there. So well, that sounds really cool. My gosh, you're busy, aren't you? <laughs> uh, just a bit. Just a little. <laughs> just a little bit. Did I tell you that I need to thank you for introducing me to Katie as well? Like, <laughs> The Wampa's oh. Lair is how we kind of met. I forgot about that. Yeah, you're right. Thanks, Jason. <laughs> of course. I mean... Take credit for that, I yeah. totally intended for that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty cool. I, I just... I find it remarkable, honestly, that 
in so many ways, what Carl and I do on the Wampas Lair is so responsible for for this podcast. I find it, it's it's humbling. It's kind of weird, and I'm like, how is this? How do we have this kind of impact? I mean, honestly, it it boggles my mind that that we <laughs> what we do actually inspires people to go out and do it themselves. So that's, I that's I want to say. You guys are doing great, by the way. I think the the Aww. conversations that you guys have are fantastic. Um, I really enjoy listening to Moon Jockeys. So I, I'm glad you guys started podcasting because it gives me an excuse to listen to the two of you talk. Um, <laughs> so. Thank you. Well, I mean, that's just it. You put goodness into the world, I think, and it breeds more goodness. And that's what you and, and Carl do over at the Wampus Lair. You're you're bringing your fandom to life and you're putting goodness into that and releasing it into the world and it inspires more goodness i think oh well thank yeah. you you're yeah, awesome you're thank you yeah um i want to go ahead and encourage any of our listeners to uh rate and view us on itunes <laughs> Woo! um of course if you say something nice i will read it out jason i read your review out <laughs> i know yeah <laughs> i i heard I that was fun. That was fun. <laughs> we got a new one, though. Oh, my gosh. I was so pleasantly surprised. Like, you guys, seriously, leave us reviews because it just makes my day. And then I get to read them out and just fangirl all over you. So this comes from our listener, Jim, who uh, has this very nice thing to say. Uh, Jim says, although there are many Star Wars podcasts these days, I much prefer those that include objective discussions and analysis, and Katie and Brian certainly accomplished that with Moon Jockey's podcast. Not only are the discussions incredibly thought-provoking, they are also fun, lighthearted, and entertaining. Lastly, Katie and Brian managed to keep the discussions positive and very accepting of all Star Wars opinions, which I find to be very important in the Star Wars fandom today. All in all, I thoroughly enjoy listening to this podcast, and I can't wait for future episodes. Jim! Man, that was you're nice. amazing. Yeah, that <laughs> was really nice. Way to go, Jim. Jim also listens to the Wampas Lair, so <gasps> I, he's he's got good taste in podcasts. You do have... Oh, wow, Jim, you're a hero, obviously. You have really good taste. Just, like, the best, obviously. <laughs> Incredibly good taste. Mm-hmm. I think so we met. I think Carl and I met him at Celebration. <gasps> I think so. If if that's you, Jim, thumbs up and a high five. High fives, prequel loving high fives. I know Jim loves the prequels, so just <laughs> <laughs> all the prequel love here. Um, I really like what he says about how um, we're we're positive and accepting of all Star Wars because that that's so important to me. That Star Wars spreads across so many generations now. And I think it's really important to love all Star Wars and be accepting of all Star Wars. Even an yeah. old yeah. curmudgeon like me can be a cool guy. <laughs> right? Yes. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so. so, Brian, do you want to tell people what we're talking about next week? Because I know it's a topic really important to you. Okay, so Attack of the Clones is my least favorite Yoda. But next week, we get to dive into my top five yoda moments in the saga Ooh. and i cannot wait for that so that sounds cool yeah i'm gonna have fun coming up with uh five top five yoda moments 
um, you always know I have a lot of thoughts about Yoda. <laughs> so are you going to go positive or are you going to go with uh, least favorite Yoda moments? Oh, no. No, no, no. I'll make, it, I'll make it good Yoda moments because I really do love this character. But, of course, you know, part of loving a character is also being critical of their actions sometimes, especially if they're a Sith Lord who has <laughs> so many issues. I'm sorry. Are you calling Yoda a Sith? No. <laughs> She's calling herself a Sith. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was about to say because uh, Mike from, uh, from, uh, from Sith has had this Yoda is a Sith theory going for a while. That, oh, uh, Mike Pilot. No, I yeah. wasn't going. Yeah, Mike Pilot. Yeah. I, I wasn't going that far afield. I was just saying that uh, I, I'm critical of Yoda, yes, but I'm also extremely critical of Darth Maul. Like, my, I, I, I'm really willing to look at the both sides. I mean, you know? gosh. Mike yeah. has a point. If you've lived 800 years, you have time to go one way and go another <laughs> way. <laughs> sure. Uh, well, um, our listeners, uh, if you would like to send us your favorite scene, uh, your favorite Yoda scene to us, you can tweet us at MoonJockeysPod on Twitter, or you can email us at MoonJockeysPod at podcast at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, let us know your Yoda thoughts. <laughs> Obviously, he's a character that inspires a lot of discussion, so I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, Brian, if people want to reach you personally, where can they do that? At Balls and Play on Twitter and Instagram. Cool. Well, you can reach me at Dameron. And, of course, Jason, I just want to thank you one more time for being on with us. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, man. Uh, I had a blast. I had a blast. So thank you very much for having me on. Keep up the good work, guys. I, I'll keep listening, too. So. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yes, we're going to keep trying to do our best. And thanks for everyone for listening. And until next time, remember, the Force will be with you. Always. Always.